What's up? This is Eric Hatch with the Hatching Leaders Podcast. This is episode number two. Ha! We're so excited. We have some major things we're covering with today's podcast. We're going to talk about the importance of being a chapter in everybody else's book. That makes me feel all ooey gooey on the inside. We're going to talk about even though versus because. What kind of person are you? Listen and find out. And of course, we're going to wrap with the idea of the foundation of everything we do are relationships and proximity. Chances are you probably need to snuggle up and get a little bit closer to those that you're trying to lead. That's it. It's going to be a great show today. Thanks so very much for tuning in and let's get after it. There's a guy in my life. His name's Mark Anderson. Dude is brilliant. Owns a bank, but on top of that, he's five times a doctor. Crazy smart. He has this reverse form of uh, ADHD, and what he does is he just reads obsessively and consumes knowledge and quotes Rush lyrics all the time, and he, he wears this fedora. He's just unlike anybody else I know. I really like spending time with him. And Mark was in my office a while ago, and we were talking about the purpose of life, searching for this meaning, trying to figure out why do we do what we do and what would make us feel valued when all our days are done. It was a powerful question. I I think I probably gave him this like lame answer that I wanted to have this incredible autobiography about I climbed Kilimanjaro or I know how to spell Kilimanjaro, All, all these things that were attributing to me being great. And it just felt gross. Really, it felt inauthentic. It felt like it was the cheesy answer that anybody would give. And as Mark and I talked, and he knows my heart, uh, we have a great connection of faith and other things. And he says this thing, this one statement, this one moment that froze me in my tracks. It was the, the goosebump sending all over my body kind of statement. Mark says to me, Eric, wouldn't it be a better to be a chapter in everybody else's books rather than have your own incredible autobiography? And it was this amazing, holy cow, that's it moment. He had articulated in one simple sentence what my heart had been saying and my actions had been inappropriately doing for so long. It was that moment. I realized that being a chapter in somebody else's book or everybody else's books was what I was searching for and what made me feel valued. Now, when I got out of uh, real or when I got out of ministry full time, uh, I went into real estate full time. This was 2011. I consistently and immediately pursued wealth. I get it, right? Like money can be sexy. Ooh, ooh, you know. And I was chasing after uh, I was chasing after money. In fact, my first year as a professional realtor full time, I five xed my income from what I made the previous year. Uh, not in real estate, but from my full time hourly sal- salary job. Not hourly and salary are two different things. It was my salary job, and I five xed my income in a twelve month period, which was so crazy. And, and so I kept thinking that that was what was giving me validation in this world. And that's what was giving me all this excitement and joy. And I was miserable. Just com- completely. I was, I was chasing these false idols and these things that didn't give me any inherent joy whatsoever. And so I realized uh, th- through getting fired from a brokerage and through falling apart, uh, I, mean, I 
my whole life, I've been this goody two-shoes, brown-nosing, suck-up, do-gooder that makes some of y'all crazy. That's just, that's authentically me. And I moved into the business world thinking that the business world was supposed to be about being self-serving, that it was opposite from the ministry world. I didn't understand that two could be the same I thought that people served at church and they served themselves everywhere else. <laughs> so I had some lessons to learn, that's for certain. I, as, I, as I pursued money, it was, it was like this thing that I, I couldn't get enough of. It's what I was going towards. The more money, more awards, more self-serving accolades. The more I put my name on something, the better it was. Now, ironically, I understand if you know my branding, my name is still on everything because I understand branding and it's not about me anymore. Fortunately, it's just about repetition. And I'm like the Colonel Sanders, right? Uh, My name's on everything. Maybe I created the recipe, uh, but I'm not in the kitchen anymore and a lot of things. Anyhow, uh, as I was pursuing uh, money, I look at it like pursuing and swimming towards a lighthouse. If I got dropped off a boat five miles offshore, I was swimming towards the lighthouse. And that lighthouse was money. That's what I was going for. It was my goal. It was my destination. It was what I was determined to do. But as I've matured and as I've grown as a businessman and a man of faith, I recognize that making money is not the purpose of business. Just like breathing air is not the purpose of life. We need air in our lungs in order to live, but that's not why we're living. We need money in our pockets in order to run a business, but that is not the purpose of having a business. And I recognize that if you're swimming towards a lighthouse, let's take that money lighthouse out of your mind and instead put just this lighthouse of this is your goal. You want to be a servant leader. You want to be this person that uh, has this big life of being a chapter in other people's books. If that's what you're swimming towards, absolutely. But if you're taking on water and you're drowning and you're gasping, that lighthouse really doesn't matter. You got to catch a breath. You got to get above water. You got to get your bearings to you. And I think that's what money is. Money is money is the air in your lungs. It is not the purpose of where you're going. And instead, having a clear idea of what you're doing and why you're doing it will give you a sense of direction. Visions are an interesting thing. I got challenged by my friend Robbie T. He's a part of our hooch, our hatch coaching world, and Robbie is super smart. He'll even tell you. <laughs> uh, anyways, Robbie challenged me, and he's like, "Dude, you haven't you haven't talked about vision in a long time, and that's what you do best. That's where you live and live exceedingly well. Is you talk about where you're going, and you you set out this goal that people are inspired by and lifted up by, and." And for me, that vision, I wasn't talking about servant leadership and I wasn't talking about playing for the person next to you. I wasn't talking about doing good and making a difference in this world. We were talking about breathing. We were talking about getting our head above water because we were in triage a couple of years ago and we needed to get our bearings right. And with Robbie's guidance and help, I realized I had to start casting vision again. And never have I found our company more healthy and alive when we're talking about where we're swimming instead of trying to get more of that money. It's a wild change. And when we can have the clarity of where we're going and why we're doing it, massive growth happens. There's an organization in town. It's called F5. Uh, F5 is that restart button on your computer. It's the one that you hit and you go, oh crap, I didn't mean to do that. 
But F5 is a group that was formed uh, by a guy named Adam Martin. And Adam is uh, five times a felon. He started this group because he wanted to create a bridge between the felons that are imprisoned and in jail and the real world, helping them to get jobs and housing and all these other things. And the ministry starts by going into the jail. I was drawn to it immediately. Uh, I'm not a guy that goes to prison. Uh, I'm not a guy that goes to jail. Uh, I got arrested when I was 11 for shoplifting. Uh, so I definitely I'm a bad boy, but it was, you know, turkey jerky and bubble jug uh, from a grocery store because, uh, well, I, I guess I was hungry. But I bring myself forward now, and now I found myself in jail for the first time uh, ever. And I'm at this place with these heavy emotions that are tied to it. You walk in, and you can see the families that are sad, waiting to see their loved ones, desperately wanting them to get out. And we make our way back through this sterile hallway and these different checkpoints and entry points, and they bring us to this like conference room where we just sit and wait for the felons to come. See, we were there to, to connect and to tell stories and to try to inspire and to give them an invitation to let them know that they weren't forgotten about, that they matter and that they have purpose. And so they release the pods and, and usually five or 10 guys at a time are coming into the room and this room has no guards in it whatsoever. It has myself and two other people. So it's 50 felons and three of us. They're all in orange jumpsuits and uh, government-issued sandals and underwear and socks. And it is just a surreal environment to be in. I remember the energy that was in the room and I was about scared to death. You know that feeling when you go on a roller coaster and like a little bit of pee is about ready to come out? Like that's where I was at. It was this super awkward, uncomfortable, I didn't know what was about to come experience. I had made a lot of gross assumptions about felons, and man, I was wrong. I'm so glad I got a chance to be there to have my perspective change because the only difference between them and us is the fact that they probably got caught. We've all done dumb things in our lives where we've been victims over and over again, and that's what I talked about. I talked about being victims because there are times in our life when we take on that victim mentality. My dad abandoned me when I was two years old. I took on a victim mentality very early on. In fact, I have a plethora of daddy issues. It's just a weird thing to say, but it's the truth. (laughs) And I realized that they probably did too. And when I was 21, my mom died and I was orphaned. You know, she fought cancer for a long time and then passed away. And I recognized that, man, I was a victim. Life didn't go my way. And they had their stories too of people that had abandoned them or died or, you know, they they didn't grow up with a lot of the same chances. At least a lot of them didn't grow up with a lot of the same chances that you or I did. They didn't have a chance uh, to be at the same starting line as we did from moment one. And so I talked to them and I, I shared with them some of my hardships and some of the things that I had gone through. Similar With the great coaching of Adam, I, I wanted to go there and be brutally honest. I was allowed to swear. I was allowed to mess up. I was allowed to be uh, fully authentic me. No rehearsal, just raw. And I talked with them about how I felt like a victim and that there's a moment in time where we have to make a decision that if we continue to hang on to being a victim... It actually leads to us being victimizers. That our language and our thoughts and our energy bring us to be a because person. 
That word because is an interesting one, isn't it? We use it all the time. When we say because, we are validating our our falling short, our inaction, our insufficient performance. Every time we say because, it's met with an invalidator. Well, I didn't finish my homework because. I'm late today because. And because are a big pile of excuses. Because is a painful word that most of us live in all the time. I don't care if you're a felon in a jumpsuit or somebody in a three-piece suit. It doesn't matter. We use because as a validator all the time. That means we play the victim role, doesn't it? I challenge them in that moment to not be a because person, but I challenge those, those felons to be an even though person, to triumph rather than to get trampled on. When you say even though, whoa, that temperature changes. Even though my dad abandoned me, even though my mom died, even though this, even though that, you are giving yourself power when you say things like even though. What you're doing is you are serving yourself in a contagious sort of way and you are serving others in a contagious sort of way. See, we are all like thermostats. We control the temperature in the room, but most of us tend to show up like thermometers. And we just measure what's going there and we tend to simply go with it. But there are two words that are tied to play for the person next to you. It's servant and leader. To serve means to do something selfless for somebody else. And to be a leader means to go out of your way. And when I think about the word leader, I can't help but think that that relates to being a thermostat. That you consciously make a choice to go out of your way to rise the tide and to be an even though person instead of a because person. See, if you're going to be a chapter in somebody else's book, it's not going to come by you being a thermostat or by being a thermometer. No, sir. It is going to come from you being a thermostat as somebody who changes the temperature. But might I argue that it is near impossible to change somebody's world and to be a chapter in their books if you don't have proximity with them. Proximity is the biggest game changer of almost anything. The ability to zoom in and see the whites of someone's eyes, to empathetically sit with them and to connect and to build rapport and a relationship with, that is such uh, an insatiable thing to strive for. Your ability to have proximity with people is going to lead you to be a chapter in so many more books. I think about this. The idea of getting approximate uh, shows up in a lot of ways. Uh, my daughter, Finley, uh, she, she's had some tough days. She's at this age right now where she's testing a whole lot of limits and bringing this energy of consistently melting down and breaking down on things. And I found myself as a parent uh, doing what most parents do, and that is getting pissed off. <laughs> I, I was fed up with how Finley was acting. And so what I tended to do is I would tend to, from the couch, looking at my phone or from the kitchen, sitting at the table, I would tend to try to parent her exceedingly well while yelling and keeping distance between us. I'm not one that yells, but I am one that has a loud voice and I'll use it. And Finley's heard my loud voice plenty of times. I, I don't say that with pride here. 
I say that with uh, my tail between my legs saying that I have fallen short as a parent because I have not put proximity as the most important thing to serve my family. And I recognize the error in my ways and I have been so conscious on it lately that I'm getting side by side with Finley. When she's melting down instead of me heating up, I slow down and I get to her level and I ask questions instead of making statements. I inquire rather than prescribe. I listen well and every time it calms her down, it gathers her tears and we talk about our choices after that. Frankly, if we're trying to change this world, if we're trying to make a difference, if we have this lighthouse that we're striving for and this goal life that feels so satisfactory that we want to be a chapter in everybody else's books and we want to play for the person next to us, that is near impossible if you don't have proximity. The core of relationships is the foundation of trust and proximity. And if you want to get this figured out and if you want to have a massive difference, you can't have a massive difference by being miles away and not seeing the whites in someone's eyes. Get close, get uncomfortable, get in the weeds, and get going. (laughs) My favorite TV show growing up was Boy Meets World. Dang, that was a good show. Uh, And thank goodness Disney Plus now is broadcasting that again. Like, my life has changed forever. And at the final episode of Boy Meets World when they graduate high school, Topanga and Sean and Corey find themselves sitting with Mr. Feeney, who somehow was their neighbor, their principal, and their teacher. Ah, the magic of television. And they sit there and they say, Mr. Feeney, do you have any final advice for us? And he says, I do. He says a couple of things, then he finishes with, do good. And Topanga says, Mr. Feeney, don't you mean do well? And he said, no, I don't. I mean, do good. <laughs> That's it. That's what servant leadership looks like. That's what playing for the person next to you means is you get approximate, you build your relationship, you work on trust, you take on a victor role, you, you are an even though person, and you do good. That, my friends, is the best secret I could possibly share with you. If this has been good for you, check out hatchingleaders.com, subscribe to our podcast, get all of our stuff gobbled up, and we will continue to keep trying to throw awesome things your way. But for now, go and do good.